Section 5, Chapter 8, Part 2 of Elementary Theosophy by L. W. Rogers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Astral World As the astral life becomes more and more familiar to the newly arrived individual, he gets well settled in it and gradually readjusts his viewpoint to a truer perspective than he has here. As time passes, he is less and less in touch with the affairs of the physical life, and finally loses consciousness of them altogether as he passes on to the higher levels of the astral world. But there are many people who have a more serious view of life, and who lose no opportunity of acquiring knowledge, and the astral world, which is called the Hall of Learning by students of the occult, presents remarkably good conditions to them. Here we are limited in three dimensions of matter and hampered by the very narrow range of the physical senses. In the astral world matter has four dimensions and new and marvelous avenues of learning open before the student. Those who are at all interested in music or art of any kind find both the field and the facilities enormously extended. Those who study nature, whether by directly probing into her secrets or by cleverly combining her principles into new processes and inventions, have such opportunities as scientist and discoverer has not dreamed of on this plane. And so for all the thoughtful and studious there is a life of the most useful and fascinating kind in the astral world. But it must not be supposed that the opportunity of usefulness and progress is only for the studious. There, as here, the opportunity for useful work in helping humanity forward is boundless. For while poverty and disease have disappeared, absolutely, there is much philanthropic work and other kinds to be done. People are to be taught, for there, as here, the majority are sadly in need of knowledge of how to take advantage of nature's laws for our rapid progress, and how to live in harmony with them in order to get the greatest happiness from life. But the work to be done is by no means confined to teaching. The ignorance that makes the teaching so necessary has brought a great many people into the unfortunate condition where immediate assistance is most urgently needed, and there is such a variety of helplessness that nobody need be idle. Because of the false teaching upon the subject of life hereafter, people are bewildered when they become conscious in the astral life. Many have had their minds so vividly impressed with the awful fate that awaits those who are not saved before death that they fall into a state of terror when at last they realize that death has really occurred. Others, who may or may not be haunted with any such absurd misconceptions, cling so tenaciously to the physical life when about to leave it that there is not complete separation between the etheric double and the astral body. The result is that the unfortunate person finds himself cut off from the physical world, and yet not arrived in the astral. Wrapped in a cloud of etheric matter, he drifts for a time in terror of the unknown. Those among the so-called dead who are kindly enough to rescue the distressed may come to their relief and give valuable assistance. Perhaps the commonest thing that engages the attention of the astral worker is the fear that death brings to most people. They arrive in the astral world with the feeling that everything is unknown and uncertain. All preconceived ideas about the life after death have suddenly been found unreliable, and they are afraid of they know not what. They want to cling to anybody who knows something of the new world. 
when we remember that people are arriving in the astral world by the tens of thousands daily even under normal conditions it is evident that all who wish to be of service can find plenty to do no special knowledge of the astral plane is necessary common sense is sufficient equipment in such simple work for those who desire to be useful instead of giving the entire time to the pleasures of that world the work for the astral helpers ranges upward in complexity of course and there is profitable activity for those with the fullest knowledge and skill they usually work in well-organized groups and render service of great practical value life on the astral plane has its end for the same reason that it comes to a close on the physical plane nature's purpose has been accomplished and the man is ready to go on farther in his evolution the length of the astral life varies just as it does in the physical world some physical lives are very long and sometimes only when five scores of years or more have passed does the ego withdraw other lives are very short and scarcely well begun when they unexpectedly come to a close there is nevertheless a general average to be found it is at least possible to make averages for different classes of people and to say that a majority of those who are of ordinary health and strength are likely to attain a stated age while it is certain that the majority of those who have such and such a physical handicap will lose their physical bodies when they are much younger such general rules may also be applied to the astral life here a long and alert life is most desirable because the purpose of the physical plane is to gather experience that shall be transmuted into wisdom on a higher plane it is a seed time against a later harvest but the astral plane is for the vast majority of the race related to the purgative process in that life the errors of the physical life are largely worked out and desires that have grown up like weeds in a garden are rooted out and the budding virtues are given a chance to grow it is a corrective plane where blunders are checked up and the moral perspective is re-established naturally enough the sooner that can be done the better the rule of a long life being most desirable on the physical plane is therefore reversed on the astral plane it is the shortest life in the astral world that is the greatest prize and it comes to those who have lived the purest and noblest lives while here the sooner a man gets through the astral world and begins the reaping of his harvest on the mental plane or heaven world the better it is for him the length of the astral sojourn depends primarily upon the durability of the astral body and that in turn depends upon the kind of life he has lived here let us suppose that he has lived a very gross and sensual life all of the emotions of that type that he indulged in built more gross matter in his astral body and also strengthened and vivified the lowest grade of matter that was already there let us also imagine that he had an ungovernable temper and frequently gave way to outbursts of fury further that he was cruel and revengeful seeking and finding many opportunities of inflicting injury upon others here we have a case for long life on the lower levels of the astral world now let us consider a different type of man he lives peacefully and harmoniously with those about him he feels strong affection for wife and children he has a host of friends because of his cheerful helpful and sympathetic attitude toward others he lives cleanly and thinks nobly his mind is kept free from trivialities and his tongue is never employed in gossip 
he makes a determined and persistent effort to eliminate pride, envy, and ambition. He cultivates the habit of thinking first of the welfare of others, and always last of himself. In short, tries hard to eliminate selfishness and see all things impersonally. Such a man could know nothing whatever of the disagreeable part of the astral life, and would pass quickly through even the higher subdivisions and reach the ecstatic happiness of the heaven world. From the lower subdivisions a man rises very gradually to the higher. He remains on a given level so long as required to eliminate the matter of that level from his astral body. He is then immediately conscious on the next higher level. The grosser matter falls away because the man has at last stopped sending his life force through it. Ungratified desire has finally worn itself out and he is free. The process can be greatly hastened or retarded by the man's attitude toward life. If he foolishly dwells upon his desires, he gives new vitality and prolonged life to them. If he can resolutely turn his mind to higher things, he hastens his release. His fate is in his own hands, and he is fortunate indeed if he has a knowledge of such matters. One who dies in advanced years will pass more rapidly through the astral world than he would have done had he died in the full strength of manhood. As the years accumulate, the emotions that vivify the lowest grades of astral matter are not so much in evidence, and the matter in which they are expressed loses its vitality. That is an additional reason why it is desirable to live to old age in the physical world. The hold that the material world has upon the mind is one of the causes which greatly prolong existence in the astral world. Some people give their time and thought so exclusively to material things that after they lose the physical body, they cannot keep the mind away from the life that lies behind them. This difficulty does not necessarily arise wholly from having given one's energies entirely to personal ambition and material accumulation. Sometimes the ruler of a country is so determined to still manage affairs as far as possible that this vivid interest in the physical world stretches out the period of astral life most unfortunately. Ordinarily one sojourn in the astral world is comparatively short, if we measure it in terms of physical life. A person who has lived here seventy years may have thirty or forty years on the astral plane. But that will depend not only upon how he lived the physical life just closed, but also upon his general position in human evolution. A savage of low type would have a comparatively long astral life, while a man at the higher levels of civilization would have a comparatively short period there while the man in the lower levels of civilized life might be said to come in at about midway between the two. But it must be remembered that these are very general estimates and that among civilized peoples, individuals differ enormously. Some will pass very slowly, and so far as the lower levels are concerned, painfully through astral life, while the sojourn of others there is measured in minutes, and they pass happily and almost instantaneously from physical death to the heaven world. But such people are the exception, not the rule. Communication with those who have passed on into the astral world is possible, but not always desirable for a number of reasons. As an evidence of the continuity of consciousness in the hands of a scientific investigator, such communications have been of the greatest value. As a consolation to those who have thus come again in touch with dead friends, 
such messages have been of inestimable value to the bereaved particularly when they have been received in the privacy of the family circle by some of its members for a time those who have lost the physical body are usually within easy reach through the usual methods employed for the purpose and perhaps no harm is done by such communication unless they arouse anew the grief of those who have been left behind and thus greatly depress the departed but after the living dead get farther along and are practically out of touch with the material world then directing their attention backward may be positively injurious to them for that reason careful students of the occult seldom seek to obtain messages or at least do it with proper consideration for all the circumstances of the particular case due regard for the interests of those who have passed on as well as for those who remain requires that all the facts be given full weight the truth of the matter is that our keen sense of loss that gives rise to the desire for a message of some sort we long once more to get into touch with one that seems to be lost to us we are not really thinking much about his welfare as a matter of fact he has not lost sight of us and does not have our sense of separation not only is he able to see us at all times and be conscious of our feelings and emotions but during the hours when we are asleep he is in the fullest and freest communication with us and we with him on awakening we usually have no memory of this and if we do we think it was a dream but it is not so with him his memory of it is perfect and the result is that he is not our sense of separation and loss at all the result of knowledge upon the subject that is readily gained by a study of the researches of the skilled occultists is that one comes to feel that one should rest satisfied with the fact that we do converse with the dead nightly and leave mediumistic communications to the scientific investigators the natural order of things is that the person who passes into the astral world shall in time fix his mind exclusively upon the inner life and be completely divorced from physical plane affairs that is the mental and emotional condition which permits of his rapid passage through levels where he should not linger it is said that to turn his attention backward at this time may cause him acute distress a reading of the christian scriptures with a knowledge of occultism often throws a new light upon the subject an instance of this is to be found in the story of the woman of endor who is visited by saul in his quest for psychic information about the crisis that has been reached in the affairs of his kingdom the woman went into a trance and acted as a medium for a communication from samuel who tells saul just what will occur in the impending battle samuel's first words were a reproach to saul why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up was his greeting footnote book one samuel twenty eight verse fifteen and footnote it is the language of one who is displeased drawing his attention forcibly back to the material world by the strong desire saul had to communicate with him was evidently distressing to the dead king hence the rebuke why hast thou disquieted me what is here said on the subject of communication however has reference to general principles only there is no intention of suggesting that it is always undesirable to communicate with those who have passed over often those on the other side seek means of communicating 
and they should then find the most willing cooperation from this side. Sometimes one who has left the physical plane life has a message of great importance to deliver, and such a case reverses the general rule. He would be delayed if he could not communicate. It would be decidedly to his advantage to free his mind of the matter. Until he has done so, he may remain in a restless condition, and his case falls into the category of what the spiritualists call earthbound. He may have left undone something that a message will set right, if he can get it through, or he may have secreted something that cannot be found because he died suddenly and had no opportunity to speak of it, or it may simply be a case of desiring to prove to materialistic friends the fact that the so-called dead are not dead and are close at hand. It is sometimes possible for the important information to come through into physical life in the form of a dream by the living, and thus the recovery of valuables has followed. Footnote. Chapter 3. Dreams and Premonitions. L. W. Rogers. End footnote. In such a case, the dream is a memory of facts well known in astral life, but hidden from the waking consciousness by the unresponsive material brain. It sometimes happens that one who thus most earnestly desires to communicate, but is wholly ignorant of how to accomplish his purpose, causes a good deal of annoyance. His blundering attempts to use psychic force may be wholly abortive and result only in meaningless noises, raps, the tumbling of books or dishes from shelves, or the aimless movement of furniture. Annoyance is sometimes caused also by intention, on the part of those who think it is humorous to play pranks. It must be remembered that passing on to the astral life does not improve one's common sense. If, while living here, he thought it amusing to astonish or delude somebody, or trick a friend into seriously accepting some absurd assertion as a fact, he still regards the same course as entertaining. This accounts for many of the foolish and sometimes startling messages or answers to questions received at seances. It has often been asked why, if communication between the physical and astral planes is possible, we do not receive information that might lead to valuable discoveries and inventions. The very fact that death does not confer wisdom explains it in part. But an even more important fact is that communication is easy with the lower levels, and correspondingly difficult as the higher levels are reached. All who have had much experience with seances are familiar with the fact that guides or controls, that is, the persons in the invisible realms who direct the seance and frequently speak through the medium, are very often Indians or others at a low level of evolution. The majority of the inhabitants on the astral levels with which communication is easy are not the type capable of furnishing ideas of any great value. It is on the higher levels that the man of intellectual power passes most of his astral life. The scientist or inventor who has given so much thought to his work that he has been in some degree successful here is not likely to have much consciousness on lower levels. It is the highest of the seven subdivisions of the astral world that is the habitat of the person who has followed intellectual pursuits during physical life, and with that level it is practically impossible for the ordinary medium to communicate. One of the objections to indiscriminate communication with the astral plane lies in the very fact that the lowest class of entities are most accessible. 
that not only accounts for the commonplace messages in such abundance but it is frequently a source of actual danger especially where people form circles for the purpose of rendering themselves more sensitive to psychic influences in such cases it is common to accept every message as absolute truth there is no doubt that as a rule the astral people in charge of such a gathering are earnest and honest but they are neither all wise nor all powerful and it sometimes comes about that some of the sitters are partially or wholly obsessed by astral entities and that may prove to be an exceedingly serious matter some people have thus lost their sanity and others their lives it is of course only the gross type of astral person who has a desire to seize upon the physical body of another the purpose is to gratify the desires that have outlived the physical body the dead drunkard is perhaps the commonest example of the obsessing entity and if the obsession is only partial it may lead to nothing worse than strong and perhaps irresistible impulses toward alcoholic stimulation obsession may of course occur without the psychic door being opened deliberately but no obsession is possible in any case unless there is something within the victim responsive to the moral defect of the obsessing entity partial obsessions are rather common and there are frequent inquiries as to the best means of treating such a case it may amount only to the slight annoyance of astral people hanging about and refusing to depart or to actual persecution in all such cases the victim is of course in conscious touch and communication with the intruders one of the world's greatest authorities on the subject who is a constant investigator of the unseen regions has given detailed answers to two questioners and what he says is of such practical value that it is well worth reproducing the second question itself is enlightening as to the character of the obsessing entities the first inquirer asks what is the best way to get rid of an excarnate human being who persists in occupying one's body the reply follows i should simply and absolutely decline to be so obsessed the best and kindest plan would be to have an explanation with the dead person to inquire what he wants and why he makes such persistent attempts quite probably he may be some ignorant soul who does not at all comprehend his new surroundings and is striving madly to get in touch again with the only kind of life that he understands in that case if matters are explained to him he may be brought to a happier frame of mind and induced to cease his ill-directed efforts or the poor creature may have something on his mind some duty unfulfilled or some wrong unrighted if this be so and the matter can be arranged to his satisfaction he may then be at peace if however he proves not to be amenable to reason if in spite of all argument and explanation he refuses to abandon his reprehensible line of action it will be necessary gently but firmly to resist him every man has an inalienable right to use his own vehicles and encroachments of this nature should not be permitted if the lawful possessor of a body will confidently assert himself and use his own will-power no obsession can take place when such things occur it is almost always because the victim has in the first place voluntarily yielded himself to the invading influence and his first step therefore is to reverse that act of submission to determine strongly to take matters into his own hands again and to assume control over his property 
it is this reassertion of himself that is the fundamental requirement and though much help may be given by wise friends nothing which they can do will take the place of the development of will-power on the part of the victim or obviate the necessity for it the exact method of procedure will naturally vary according to the details of the case the same authority answers another question on the same subject and he is here dealing with particular entities that he has evidently seen i have long been troubled by entities who constantly suggest evil ideas and make use of coarse and violent language they are always urging me to take strong drink and goading me on to the consumption of large quantities of meat i have prayed earnestly but with little avail and am driven to my wit's end what can i do to this appeal the psychic scientist replies indeed you have suffered greatly but now you must make up your mind to suffer no more you must take courage and make a firm stand the power of these dead people over you is only in your fear of them your own will is stronger than theirs combined if you will only know that it is if you turn upon them with vigor and determination they must yield before you you have an inalienable right to the undisturbed use of your own vehicles and you should insist on being left in peace you would not tolerate an intrusion of filthy and disgusting beings into your house on the physical plane why should you submit to it because the entities happen to be astral if an insolent tramp forces himself into a man's house the owner does not kneel down and pray he kicks the tramp out and that is precisely what you must do with these astral tramps you will no doubt say to yourself that when i give you this advice i do not know the terrible power of the particular demons who are afflicting you that is exactly what they would like you to believe that they will try to make you believe but do not be so foolish as to listen to them i know the type perfectly and mean despicable bullying villains they are they will torment a weak woman for months together but will fly in cowardly terror the moment you turn upon them in righteous anger i should just laugh at them but i would drive them out hold not a moment's parley with them of course they will bluster and show fight because you have let them have their own way for so long that they will not tamely submit to expulsion but face them with iron determination set your will against them like an immovable rock and down they will go say to them i am spark of the divine fire and by the power of god within me i order you to depart never let yourself think for an instant of failure or of yielding god is within you and god cannot fail footnote the inner life leadbeater volume one page four eighty three and footnote probably there is no astral subject of more vital importance to any of us than that of the right attitude of mind and emotion toward the living dead it is commonly said that we can do nothing more for them when they have passed away from the physical plane life but a greater error could not be easily made the connection with us is by no means severed not only are they emotionally in touch with us but their emotions are very much keener than when they had a physical body through which to express them they are now living in the astral body the matter of which is enormously more responsive to emotional vibrations a joyous emotion here would be tremendously more joyous there and a thing that would produce depression here would be a hundred times more depressing there 
that fact should give pause to those who are inclined to think in sorrow and with something of despair about their friends who have passed on but they are not far away in space and our emotions affect them profoundly and instantly we are all familiar with the fact that moods are communicable the person who is cheerful cheers up others in his vicinity while the one who is gloomy spreads gloom everywhere he goes it is a simple matter of vibrations it is often within the power of a member of the family who habitually has the blues to destroy the happiness of the entire household if we think of the most depressing effect that can be caused by sorrow on the physical plane and then multiply its effectiveness by a hundred we shall have no exaggeration of the astral effects of the emotion we indulge in in the physical body if then the sorrow of a weeping relative distresses us here it is clear that it must bring really keen distress to the one who is the subject of such grief his life may thus be made miserable by the very persons who would be the last to cause him sorrow if they understood what they were doing we can really help the so-called dead and make them much happier by simply changing our mournful attitude toward them all violent expressions of grief should be avoided and a determination to make the best of the matter should be cultivated the situation may indeed be bad but we make it very much worse by our mourning the funeral customs of occidental civilization are quite consistent with its materialism we act as nearly as possible as though we believe the dead are lost to us absolutely we make matters as gloomy as possible yet we are slowly improving not so very long ago when anybody died those present stopped the ticking of the clock drew down the window curtains moved about on tiptoe and acted generally in a way calculated to add as much as possible to the awe and the gloom we still wear sombre and depressing black and add all we can externally to our inward distress a more sensible attitude of mind may be observed at any theosophical funeral and with growing frequency at the funerals among thinking people a funeral should not be the occasion of a final expression of grief but a gathering of friends who send kindly thoughts and helpful good wishes to the comrade whose life work in the physical world is finished the general feeling should be very much like that of a party of friends who go to the pier to see a well-loved traveller off on a long journey to remote parts of the earth for a sojourn of many years or possibly a lifetime there should be constant thought of his welfare not of the loss to his friends grief that thinks of itself is an expression of selfishness and is detrimental to all one should practice self-control in such a matter just as one would control a feeling of anger under different circumstances naturally enough the control of grief when one we love has passed on is none too easy but any degree of success is much better than no effort and will certainly help the one for whom we mourn much can be accomplished by avoiding unnecessary incidents that bring vividly back the keen sense of loss many people indulge the foolish custom of regularly visiting the cemetery where the body has been interred a little analysis will show that this is only another evidence of our materialistic modes of thought and the custom serves to perpetuate emotions that should never have existed we cannot of course think too often or too tenderly of those who have passed on but we should do nothing that leads us to think of them as being dead or being far away 
the fact that they are alive and well and happy and near should constantly fill the mind and all of that in nearly all cases will be perfectly true if we do not foolishly destroy their peace of mind with our selfish sorrow occasionally a hint on the subject comes from the astral plane people themselves in the recent book by sir oliver lodge on his experiments in psychic research there is a message from his son who was killed in battle agreeing to attend the family christmas dinner and to occupy the chair placed for him provided they will all refrain from gloomy thoughts about him no one who is informed on the subject of emotional reaction on the astral body after the loss of the physical body could be surprised by the conditions named by the young man the advocates of cremation have a strong argument in the fact that the preservation of the body for a time whether in a tomb or a grave tends to keep grief alive when the body is reduced to ashes the delusion that the body is somehow the man seems to have less of a material basis visits to a tomb or grave are unfortunate not alone because they renew grief through thinking upon it and thus cause great distress to those for whom we mourn but also because the environment of a cemetery is one of the worst possible for the sorrowing it is a dismal park of concentrated griefs where each mourner accentuates the emotional distress of all others there is but one sensible attitude to take toward those we have lost by death to think of them as living a joyous busy life and at least calling on us daily even though most of us are not sensitive enough to be conscious of the fact we should try to realize the truth of the matter and then readjust our habits to fit the facts the average person who is afflicted with the erroneous ideas still so common is doing an enormous amount of injury and bringing into the lives of the very people he loves a depression of which he little dreams and which he can change to vivid pleasure by always thinking cheerfully of them and sending them daily thoughts of serenity and peace end of section five chapter eight part two